Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. We are going to get into Daniel 2 today. Bob, would you start off with a word of prayer, please? Certainly. Father, we just pray right now that your spirit will be with us as we open up your holy word. Give us understanding in, to the things of this important uh, chapter of prophecy and other things as well as we uh, uh, endeavor to gain an understanding of who you are and um, what our purpose is in this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I'm going to start in Daniel chapter 2, and I'm just going to read through chapter. So Daniel chapter 2 in the New King James Version. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, 
and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Then the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. All right, that's quite a bit. And we have this certain mindset when we read this story. This is kind of a standard introduction to prophecy, and, and for good reason, because here's this king who really doesn't know much about the Hebrew culture and the Israelites, and all of a sudden here's this Hebrew man, probably still a fairly young, young boy, describing what God is like through this dream, this interpretation of his dream. I think this continues um, the narrative that we looked at earlier. It's going to set the stage for us understanding the conflict on a personal level as well as a, a grand prophetic level between uh, what Satan's at work in the world doing and what God has intention to do. So uh, as we go through this, we can kind of follow those strains or the thought 
And I think that the very first verse helps us to understand that because it talks about it's the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. So we know without getting into too much of the details of it, that this is a, this is an event that happens shortly after the events of, of chapter one, um, specifically the end of chapter one, where Daniel is and his friends were tested by the King and found to be 10 times smarter and 10 times better than the, the rest of his advisors. If, if we just begin at the beginning here, then the, the story starts with really Nebuchadnezzar having a personal crisis in his life. You know, he has this, this dream that he intuitively knows is, is of vast importance, and he wants to know what it means. He turns to his, his religious advisors, his wise men. We have a list of different words describing them as musicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to seek an understanding and interpretation of the dream itself. Why is he so troubled? That's the question I have. Why is he so troubled in his, his heart when he has this dream? To me, King Nebuchadnezzar seems like a larger-than-life character kind of egotistical and maybe like he's constantly watching his back thinking that somebody's gonna you know sneak up on him and uh you know pull a brutus kind of a thing yeah and i think that the the scripture itself maybe answers that question jeff is that you know because it, it, it daniel when he when he begins to unfold it says you were laying on your bed and you were wondering, well, what happens after this and of course nebuchadnezzar at this point has really reached the zenith of earthly power and success. So apparently though, he's, he's, he lacks contentment and peace in his heart. And he intuitively knows that this dream somehow is the answer that he's seeking. And that's why he's desperate to, so desperate that he won't even tell his, tell his, uh, his, his wise men, the dream. He wants them both tell the dream and the interpretation because that, that way he knows that it's that they're, they're giving him the real deal because it's, it's kind of obvious from the, from the text that he doesn't have a lot of, a lot of faith in these guys. He think he's afraid to just try to buy time and spin something. You get the idea that he's thought about this before and he's like ready to jump down their throats when they mess up. I think that, you know, a lot of times we think this just all happened in a, a very quick vacuum he had the dream and the next day it's like 20 minutes later Yeah, 20 minutes later he's calling everybody in but there's some indications here like even in verse one that it might have taken a little bit of time first off it said he had dreams in verse one it doesn't say he just had a dream so maybe he had the same dream speculative over and over and secondly it said that his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him that could be you know he you know became insomniac you know, because he was having this experience repeated. Right. We, don't, we don't know that. But I think that we could, you know, because of some of those words and the way they are laid out there that, you know, this was a very troubling event in his life because he was contemplating some, some things. And probably like we all do, he was laying around and thinks, thinking to himself, is this all that life has to offer? You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the king of everything. So what's next? And, and then he has this dream or dreams, maybe the same dream. You know, I think that's reasonable to uh, think that it might have been a, the, the same dream repeated because Daniel only gives him one interpretation. Right. And so, yeah, this, this, and, and, and that would trouble you and I as yeah. well, right? If you had the same dream right. recurring and it was 
especially when you see what was happening there, that, it, that it, it, would, it would be troubling. Right. You can imagine if somebody in your family couldn't get sleep and they've been having like the same dream for weeks and weeks. And every time you see him in the morning, it's like, oh, did you have that dream again? It's like, yeah, I still don't know what it means. I'm trying to work through it. It kind of puts it into perspective too, is his distrust for the intellectual group that are his, his group of advisors is this probably if it was a sequence that he was experiencing, he was also thinking about, well, I can't just go to them and ask them because they'll just tell me what they think I want to hear. And so, well, and apparently that's been the case. It's in the probably past. been the case. <laughs> and he's, and he's troubled about this because he, he knows, I mean, how often I, I, I've never had a dream, the same dream more than once. I can hardly remember the ones that I have one time. Um, so, you know, we, we don't know that, but just the way it's laid out here, this seems like it was, you know, something that was building in his mind. And so he finally decides to do something about it. And he calls all the professionals, so to speak, in to, to help him with this problem. Yeah, it calls the A-team. The A-team. Yeah, yeah, because apparently Daniel and, and, and his friends weren't, weren't a part of this initial discussion. Right. They find out subsequent to they're, the, to, to the uh, pretty much the, bench warmers and right. And they're, they're, they're newbies, you know, they're, they're just, they're just came into the, uh, the court recently. And so they weren't summoned by Nebuchadnezzar initially. So it's an interesting discussion that they have here with them because, um, in it, we, we get to see, uh, a picture of God that Babylon has projected and probably taught to the king himself, which is which which is part of the thread that that we started to develop last time. What's the, what's this picture of God and what and and what is and what does Babylon think about that? Um, that's that's kind of a story that runs through these first uh, few chapters, right? And if you're coming from their culture, then you had all these people on staff because you wanted to know what the gods wanted. Like they didn't just tell you. But here you have something that's totally coming out of left field where God is telling you exactly what's going on and you don't have to have all these fancy people on payroll and have years of, of uh, training in it. You know, these fairly young and experienced people come along and say, hey, this is what God says. It's interesting that we go through this process, you know, of the first 12 verses or so, and very quickly we move into this uh, back and forth with this uh, intellectual elite group that he's talking to. And he quickly moves into saying, you know, off with their heads. Right. <laughs> well, and if you think about it, if, if in, in, in the moment of your deep, deepest crisis, the, the things that you hold to be true about eternal things cannot give you an answer, then what value is it? And, and that's what, and that's essentially what, what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. You know, th their, their plea is like, we can't tell you what you're asking for because what you're asking for only the gods could reveal. And this talks about that in verse 10 and 11, only the gods can, uh, can reveal. It's a difficult thing that you ask. They don't dwell with flesh. In other words, from Babylon's perspective, God is someone who, who doesn't, doesn't really interact. He's not intimate with, you, with human beings. And, and, and he's also inaccessible. You just can't go and ask him stuff, right? It's this long process of figuring it out and looking at the stars and reading different omens. And, 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 and so, so now 
what God has created is a situation and he's, cre- and he's put somebody in that position. Remember, it's God who's given the dream t- to correct the misunderstanding of who he is. Because after all, this is the God of Israel who says, make me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them. And, and, and when the baby Jesus came, he said, you should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yeah, so, and th- th- this is something that happens often. And I, you know, I'm going to bring sort of a personal lesson into this at this time from, from a spiritual perspective, because it says that he was having a spiritual crisis. It was a crisis of the spirit. And you add to that, he was having this physical insomnia where he couldn't sleep. So he was in crisis. Nebuchadnezzar was in crisis. And the answer to what to us when we're in crisis, and, and oftentimes today, when we're in crisis, we're having a spiritual crisis. And, and I don't just mean like the God spiritual crisis. Like it's, it's an emotional, it's a psychological crisis that begins to, and it is often accompanied by some physical crisis as well. It's often in that moment that God decides to reveal himself to us so we can know to be still and know that he is God, you know, and I think that's something that we can take out of this, that this is a big moment in Nebuchadnezzar's life where his life has opened up to this possibility and Daniel happens to be there too, so God can comfort the king. And Daniel himself when he finds out what, what, you know, what the deal is, he has to, he has, he has his own personal crisis uh, with, along with his three friends now that develops because he's included in that, in, in that cabal of, of, uh, of, of wise men, even though he hasn't had an opportunity. And, and here's what's, here, you know, here's a mi- another, to me, an amazing thing about the story is that in all that, he goes into the king and asks if he can interpret it. Uh, there's two things that amaze me there. Number one, it's, it's the courage and faith of Daniel, of course, because he's, he's counting on God that he will reveal this. But the other thing is, why would Nebuchadnezzar even give him an opportunity, or why would he even listen to Daniel at this point? And that's, that's where it goes back to, the, to, to chapter one and, and something we talked about last time, that sometimes God sets things up. It's because... In my in, in, anyway, from my perspective, because Daniel had proven himself to be ten times wiser, and that testing event had just recently happened, that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes, well, there's something here, there's something of possibility where I, I can have an answer to this question. And so, when they find out what's going on, from you know, they're asking around, okay, what's the big hubbub about? Then it says that Daniel actually gets together with his friends, those three Hebrew boys. And then they actually, they don't just march right in, but they actually ask God first, okay, what's this, what's going on? And where do you, where do we fit into this picture? Because we represent you and we know that you can use us to do something great here. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And so they pray. Yeah, I think there's a sequence of events that is significant here uh, with Daniel. And that is, he see, acts in faith. He goes to his core group. A body. A body. He prays with them. Um, he actually is seeking not just out for himself, but for all of the wise men, even though they're of a different ilk than he is, so to speak. He's, you know, there's quite a few things going on here with this young man. He's thinking, because the first thing he says is tell, tell him not to kill the wise men. Apparently some of them are already killed. He's not just worried about himself. He's worried about all these people. 
and uh, and they go into prayer. And when the prayer is answered, the first thing they do is they go into praise and worship. So I I think there's something for us to be learning there too. With uh, uh, when we are faced as Christians with circumstances of crisis, that there's a pattern that we can follow. Face it, come to the body, pray about it, and when God answers, move into praise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so characteristic of Daniel to never take credit for any of any of these things throughout the whole book. He never takes credit for all the wonderful and crazy things that he, he experiences and does. And, and, uh, you know, at the end of his statement of praise, he says, you know, for you have made known to us the King's demand. That's the exact thing that the Chaldeans said, couldn't happen. You can't go to God and he'll just tell you stuff. And Daniel says, well, he, you made known to us, you told us. And he comes out and says that later. He says, there is a God in heaven, right? And we need to say that more often, you know? Yeah, I just, the, the cir- these circumstances also remind me that we do get focused on our, our inner circle sometimes or our, our cultural circle because by Daniel doing something about this, he's not just preserving the life of himself and other Hebrews, other Israelites, but he's actually saving these other men who were part of the, the, the culture there, the Babylonian culture. So one way I, I'm thinking we can apply that is that, you know, God will use us not just for our benefit, but to actually save others who are in trouble. And I mean, however you want to apply that into our modern context within politics or, um, you know, the, the social issues of our, of, of today, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that need that kind of advocacy who, I mean, we know that they can't do anything for themselves and we can take action. Yeah. I think that's a good point, Andrew, as you know, and as Christians, what we actually have is the, the privilege of intercession. We can intercede with God on, 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 on others behalfs. And that, that's, that's essentially what Daniel's doing. He's interceding for, he's interceding for the rest of the wise men. And I, I would assume we don't know. Uh, if anything happened out of that with the other wise men, we know later that the other, the, the other wise men were kind of rude to Daniel. Yeah, maybe got a little jealous, <laughs> but we can't say that his influence in this experience, he saved their lives, perhaps opened doors to other people, you know, and that's all we should be concerned about is this might not, you know, when we act, you know, uh, with the Holy spirit within us and, and uh, God um, does good things around us. It may not affect everybody in the same way, but it's going to open doors to some ministry that we didn't have prior. In particular, this case, it opened ministry to the king of the world, so to speak. And so God is reaching in to the most Babylonian of Babylonians and saying, I desire you. You know, this is the beginning of that courtship that God is doing, and he's using Daniel to facilitate that. Yeah, it's it's it's... It's interesting how how uh, Daniel broaches the whole subject with the king when he when, you know, when he's called in finally to do the interpretation. He, he he actually kind of confirms some of what the astrologers had said when he says they're the secret which the king has demanded the wise men, the astrologers, and the magicians and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. That's absolutely true. That's true. They can't got it because it, it does re, it does lie within the hands of God. But then verse 28 has that very special small word, but, 
But there is a God, and it's a God who is in heaven, and he reveals secrets. This is what God, and this is what God wants to involve us in, and that's the conversion of his children to an understanding of who he truly is. We often make Daniel chapter 2 a lot about prophecy and, you know, grabbing people's attention. Oh, do you want to know the future? When we can really miss some of these more intricate and delicate themes of redemption and the clarification of God's character within all of this. Seeing this, this vision and the prophecy, that's what, should, that's what it should do to us, help us to understand that God cares about us to the point where he does want to tell us these things. It doesn't contradict even the, idea, the, the, the purpose of the prophecy. You know, the purpose of the prophecy is to, is to do essentially the same thing, just on a, a grander uh, scale. Yeah, there's multiple levels of, of understanding this. And, well, God knew that we would be reading this today <laughs> and that people throughout history have taken comfort in this and looked into the secrets that it holds. Okay, so he has this dream about this statue, multiple levels of metals and uh, made out of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and, and then iron and clay mixed in at the feet. The way I've learned this is that it's kind of like in the ABCs of prophecy. You know, he's starting, Daniel's starting off with like a very simple way to understand the, the, the way that God does prophecy. And, um, and it's very important here because this is, this is kind of the blueprint for the, the rest of the way that the, the prophecies in Daniel are going to be laid out and they're all going to kind of match up. And this is almost like a, a key to the, the map of prophecy. Yeah. I also think that the key to this is to, we often, you know, get caught up in the delineation of who is, who is, who is, who, right. but the, the, you know, what part of what God is trying to communicate is there's a kingdom coming that won't end. And that's going to be the sort of the interest of all prophecy to follow is that kingdom and how is it going to be developed? We get the historical narrative uh, through time of how we advance towards that. But this is the first time we get the knowledge that says there's going to be, this is going to come to an end and there's going to be a kingdom that comes and lasts forever. And it's going to be, and the reason for us understanding the nature of this particular dream is because it, it actually says in the text that, this kingdom will be set up in the days of these other kingdoms. Okay. So that's why we're seeing a picture of this now is this because God is developing his kingdom that will last forever and ever. Yeah. I think that Daniel chapter two is kind of the global picture of prophecy in Daniel. And what's nice is that we actually have an interpretation here, not specifically what each metal and stuff represents, but we have the, the overall interpretation which is, which is essentially, essentially what Jeff was saying is there. There's the, the big picture is, look, there are two kingdoms in this world. We learned that last time in chapter one. It's represented by Jerusalem and Babylon. Well, here you have a picture of two kingdoms, and they're on a collision course, and one of them is going to persist. One of them is going to be crushed and blown away and no longer to, 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 uh, to exist. That's the big picture here of Daniel 2. And all other prophecies that we're going to see in Daniel are going to simply illuminate some of the facts that we, that we uh, uh, discover here. So, Andrew, just lay out for us, if you would, you know, what these, these uh, metals represent. It's something that we've studied 
you can just lay them out in order because it says they're kingdoms and one kingdom follows the other kingdom. So for our listening audience, just kind of tell us who they are. Yeah, let's go through it. So we have first the head of gold. And the Bible says, you, O king, are this head of gold. So the head of gold represents King Nebuchadnezzar. But then he says, after that is going to come this other kingdom, a kingdom of silver. And that, that's, that'll be seen to be equivalent to the, the Medes and the Persians or the Medo-Persian Empire. And then after that, we have the, the kind of uh, midsection in the belly of bronze. And that comes to represent Greece or Grecia. And then we go down to the legs, and that's iron. That represents Rome. And then way down at the toes, we have iron and clay. And so this picture of a divided Rome and modern Europe and the old world as we know it, uh, the, metal, the metals in all these are representing the more of the government structure, military too. But then you have the clay, which man is made out of, the spiritual component of it. And so there's this mixing of government and religion. And you have these two materials coming together, the metal, the iron, and the clay. and they're and they're not really mixing well, like just, just as iron will, will never mix with clay. And then at that point is when this stone comes out that's cut out without hands, signifying that it's not the work of man that is going to crush the statue, but it's God's doing that is going to hit at the feet, meaning that there's not any other kind of world government structure that's, that's going to come and, you know, after this, there's no other kingdom that's going to try to formulate but sometime, you know, while this, this type of loosely structured religious political system, it's not going to work. But yet God is going to come sometime during this structure. I th- yeah, I think that the uh, verse 44 where it says, in those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and a kingdom that shall not be left to other people. What we have here is we, have a, we recognize now that the stone part of this because you have an image and you have a stone you have these two 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 big symbols that stone represents god's kingdom that's never going to be destroyed but we also recognize that then, then that this image must represent must represent that which the kingdom of god is in opposition to in other words the, the image portrays the kingdom of satan and 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 so then the attrib- the attributes associated with that image um are a revelation of what what the kingdom of Satan is all about, his kingdom, Babylon, as opposed to God's kingdom, Jerusalem, and and that's that's going to be expanded later on in Daniel when we talk about other some of the other prophecies, but but from 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 the, what we can gather from 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 uh, this first revelation of of Satan's kingdom is number one, it's not homogeneous. It's divided, and it becomes more and more base as the longer it exists. It goes from being gold all the way down to gold mixed with clay. And it's not just clay, multiple clay. It says bitter. It's brittle clay. It's, it, it's, it, in other words, it's been fired. It's just, it's just pottery. That's how base it becomes later on. It doesn't cling to anything. So the type of, the, the type of clay you discard because you, yeah. it has no value. Yeah. Well, you think of clay as something that you can mold and shape, but it, it, it talks about it being b- brittle. That means it's, it's, it's been fired. And so it's just, it's just, it has the illusion of having strength, but it has no strength. 
Yeah. And it's, it's funny because if you would actually build the structure like this, it would completely just fall over right away. I'd like to just kind of take what you, what Bob has said and, and, and kind of look at it in a little bit of different way and sort of like what the new Testament might look like, because we're, we're evaluating here is, is Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold. We're talking about Babylonian values as opposed to the values of the God of heaven. And the new Testament gives us sort of a picture that's similar to this. It, it, it sees the church, which is God. It's the stone. And the head of the church is Jesus, none other than Jesus Christ. So we see these two heads, the head of Babylon, the head of the church, uh, you know, which is Jesus Christ. And we see two value systems that, that are at war with each other as, this, uh, as history passes in this, um, this prophecy. And it's telling us that God's values will win out. It doesn't seem like that today. It seems like Babylonian values are winning out today. Uh, but that's why prophecy is exciting, is this because we can see that this is going to come to an end and that the values of heaven will be the values that are eternal. And we can take hope in that as people who are believers. I think it's almost funny that when I go over to Matthew 21, 44, it almost echoes Daniel 2, 44 in saying that he's talking about the, the chief cornerstone. You know, he, he, he's going through that explanation and he says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken you know, whoever comes to Jesus will be broken. But then the implication is that made anew. But then it goes on to say, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to a powder. Mm -hmm. Because of the weight of who Jesus is, if you don't come to him, there's this, there's this consequence of, of not accepting the gift. You know, you're stuck with your, yourself by rejecting him we reject all the benefits of you know, eternal life. So I'm interested now is to see, because what Daniel is doing and what God is doing through Daniel is revealing God. That's what you said. And Absolutely. in the particular aspects of God. Right. And, and circling back to that, we can, yeah. we, we, we can, we can see that in, in this particular passage, it's, it's the omniscience of God that's being, being revealed, that God knows things and the intimacy of God, that he's willing to share the things he knows with us. Yeah, it's interesting to me because of when somebody actually hears the truth about God and they really hear it or see it, how they respond, even though they're, like I said before, the most Babylonian of Babylonians. Right. And so we see that special thing at the very end of how the king responds to when he sees who God is in this first glimpse that he's getting, he responds to it. I wonder, you know, in our lives as Christians, have we realized the, the power of the indwelling spirit within us to share with people the truth about God and what that does in their lives? Just sharing who God is, how convincing that can be. Exactly, because, you know, as a young person, I've asked the question before, you know, more so in my, in my college days, oh, God, what do you want me to do with my life? If I, at that time, was understanding this passage the way that I'm seeing it now, Really, God, God will tell us what we need. You know, God will show us, and he does it through the Holy Spirit. We just have to come to him, just like Daniel and his friends did. They, they went to God. They asked for it. God gave it. And yet we hear so often people saying, oh, well, I don't know what to do with my life, and, you know, what's God's will for my life, and, you know, what school should I go to? You know, what choices should I make? But yet God wants to inform us. He wants to have a relationship with us, and it's not just some you know, casual advice that somebody might give us. 
but it, it goes way deeper than that. And where God personally wants to speak to us in, in a much more real and tangible way than, than we might have expected. So, so yeah. So think about that in terms now of Nebuchadnezzar and his, in his, in his experience here. Cause God, that's what he was seeking. You know, it's like he was, he was asking these, these eternal questions and, what he discovers is something that he probably already intuitively knew that like, Hey, there's nothing in this world that has any permanence to it. You're the head of gold, but something else is coming after you. You know, something, then something else is going to come after that, but there is a kingdom over here and you can be part of it. That's what he's going to learn. That is eternal. And that's what God is, is, is wanting to say to all of us that there is something that transcends this life the, the existence that, that we, that so many people find themselves in, that simply for them, it, it, it's nothing but confusion, suffering, and... and, and, and death you know, and taxes. Yeah, death and taxes. So sounds like another famous king, you know, who struggled with the same thing. And, and his conclusion was, vanity, oh vanities. Yeah. Right? Solomon had tried everything in his life. He was searching for the same kind of answers that Nebuchadnezzar maybe was looking to encounter. And he concluded that, you know, there's nothing of value in, in this life except to fear God. Right. Right. And give him glory. So, so these great men, and by the way, this is something we can think about with people who are affluent and who often look like they don't have any regard for things of the Lord is we can realize that they're struggling with these very issues in their lives. And if we can, if, if Christ can be revealed to them in such a way through the Holy Spirit, they often would respond because it's the very ache of their heart. Uh, we just often, sometimes we're afraid to approach them because of their status or their right. whatever it might or be. They look well off. You yeah. know, don't really need they to have everything. They don't need anything. But the, it's just the opposite that we're seeing is true. That uh, they're off, often, they're the ones who are, they because they, thought that if they got to a certain point in life, they would have everything and they got there and they don't, they realize they don't have everything that they're open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, okay. Well, um, as it wraps up here, is there anything we need to say about the last part there, except for it looks like that Nebuchadnezzar is a little bit confused because he falls down and starts to worship Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) There's other parts in the Bible where creatures tell us not to do that. Yeah. And so I think Daniel had one of those moments. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> well, that, that's the interesting thing about these stories is, is that you pay attention to Nebuchadnezzar's reactions at the end and you realize that simply because God reveals something to you at a point in time doesn't mean you know everything about him. And so, 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 so God has revealed his, his omniscient nature, his, his willingness to be intimately involved, and he's revealed that he's, he has something to offer that's of eternal value. But Nebuchadnezzar still has some lessons to learn, and chapter 3 is going to be another one of those lessons. I think at the end of this encounter, he probably went and took a long sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, finally. Sure. Finally, the, the dreams have stopped. I yeah. can get some rest now. You know, I mean, he is praising God at the yes, end he of is. it. He is. And that's that's the big takeaway for me. You know, if somebody, if your boss one day says, hey, I'm, I believe in God now. Maybe they were an atheist before. I don't know. And they tell you, hey, I, I believe in God now. You know, I'm still, I'm still have some questions about some other things. I mean, wouldn't we all be, you know, kind of praising the Lord? Mm-hmm. Wow, this is great. I remember the way they used to be, but now they're, they're full of a new peace that they've found. Right. Well, I think it's, it's the 
infinite, the infinite nature of God, make, which makes eternity worth living. What I mean by that is that oh, you and I don't even have a glimpse of what he's really like. And so we have all of eternity where God can continue to reveal himself to us as his children. And that's what makes eternity really worthwhile. I think one of the things that I really like about this story, too, is, is that God, you can see God's in control because he's, you know, this, uh, the historical narrative that you gave, Andrew, reached for hundreds and hundreds of years from beginning to end. And so God, and it happened historically just like it's laid out. But God also, he's very in tune to the details because you remember in chapter one, it said it gave Daniel knowledge and wisdom. And then it says this little phrase and the ability to interpret dreams. So he knew what was coming, and he knew that that needed to be there. And it's probably Daniel was wondering, why, am, why, why do I understand people's dreams? <laughs> but this moment came, and so it, was an, it had to be an encouragement to Daniel as well. But he did go to prayer, even though he had that, that ability. So God is, he's, he focuses on the macro picture, but he, he's also, he counts the hair of, on my head, which is difficult. And he knows everything there is about me and, uh, and that he cares about the very smallest things in my life. It's Daniel's faithfulness and something that we thought we, we, some people would consider just a small thing that, that actually precipitated that ability to interpret in dreams, which turns out to be a life or death situation for him and his friends. It's, it's just it's, it's amazing you know, that, that Daniel's faithfulness in such a small thing how it pays off both for himself and his friends personally, but also in, in, in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. So next time we get together, we're going to see an expansion on this in chapter three, uh, where the uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a, a bit of a epiphany about the image. And uh, it should be exciting to see where that goes. Yeah. The beast in him comes out. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Well, hey, if you haven't seen our new upcoming series that we're going to be doing here locally in Allentown, please head over to AdventistCityMinistries.com. We've got the whole schedule. That'll be starting in January, January 18th and 19th. We'll be having a local discussion about the gospel. And so you can come and you, we know that you'll be really enriched and just help to develop your personal ministry life. We want to equip people with the tools to share the gospel and just a, a revival, really. So please check it out, and we will see you next time. I'm Andrew. And I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. God bless.